Hi, welcome to the events podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor. It's Thursday, the 27th of September now. I'm uh, recording this in my office in a slightly wintry Prague. We had a really hot summer and getting a little bit cold now. Um, on the events topic, I'm actually heading out to Luxembourg tomorrow. Our company, Apps Events, is running a big Google Summit at the International School of Luxembourg. So i am kind of got myself in, in event mode now. I'm going to be heading out uh, tomorrow. Um, today, I was lucky enough to have a chat with Adam Levo. Uh, Adam's a really interesting guy. He started off as a PE teacher before working uh, in schools in Shanghai and also in Saudi Arabia. But he got involved in speaking at conferences. He really put himself out there and he spoke at conferences across the US and across America and eventually started running his own events. He runs his events for PE teachers. And I think it's a really interesting interview, especially for some teachers who might want to look at speaking at events uh, and running their own events, but also for anyone who has a job who, who wants to start getting involved in events, which is a lot of people who contact me who listen to this podcast. Just a quick note, the podcast is brought to you by EventsFrame. That's the company uh, we founded. It's an amazing ticketing and attending management system with no fees. So you just pay a flat monthly fee. So if you want to try it out, I'd highly recommend you do it. We've got a great website builder and you can also embed the tickets in your website. Just email me at dan, D-A-N, at eventsframe.com, E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com. Include the subject line podcast and I'll give you a special discount. Okay, so enough and on to the interview with Adam. Hi, welcome to the events podcast. Today, uh, I'm delighted to be talking to Adam Levo. His website is at Mr. Adam PE, mradampe.com. Uh, and he's um, a PE teacher who also has run uh, training events across the world for other PE teachers leveraging the use of technology and also speaks at a lot of conferences, including uh, events by Apps Events, uh, my company. So welcome, Adam. Oh, thanks for having me, Dan, today. Cool. So Adam, can you just give a bit of background about I know as, as a PE teacher, you started off working in the UK and then you went to work for international schools. And I obviously, I'm pretty interested about international schools. I work, you know, with a lot of them. So I'm just curious about how you started and, and, and how you ended up, you know, going to international schools. Yeah, it was, um, so for me personally, the, the journey started at about the age of 10 years old, where I always wanted to be a PE teacher. My granddad was actually a headmaster of a primary school and was given an MBE for his services to the Queen, uh, services for education. And I think he was a massive influence on my obviously chosen career. So I went down and I always did everything. So anything in terms of education started off in secondary schools, uh, some real challenging schools. But I, what I found was relationships were just so key with the students and the staff. And then I went into further education for a few years and though I really enjoyed it thoroughly and it gave me a great sort of work ethic just because of the, the pace of the work at the time. I found myself getting in the office at 6am, not leaving until 7, 8pm. And I thought there's got to be more to life than this. So that was really on the, I, I had this vision that there was had to be something else out there. And then I was um, in a talk with Brian Ashton, the ex-England rugby union coach. And he was giving a talk to just our sports staff at the college. And he said, he's telling lots of stories about how things in terms of coaching and teaching are quite similar. And there's lots of overlaps. And he told one story about that 99% of people live a very ordinary life, but really happy with what they do. 
he said, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's sort of like my parents and other friends and family that I know that they live a very normal life, but they enjoy what they do. He said the other 0.5% of people say they're going to do this, they're going to do that, and they climb to the top of this box, but then they fall back into that. I thought, yeah, I know quite a few people that say a lot, but don't do anything. And then the other 0.5% of people jump out of the box and live these extraordinary experiences. And I just looked at my friend and said, that's me. And literally a week or so later, I handed my resignation in and looked for international school and got positioned in China for a few years. And then... So that's, that's through, so just jump in at that point. Cause, cause yeah. It's interesting because international schools, just in case people don't know that, at schools around the world that typically teach in English, although there's, there's German international schools and French ones and various languages. Uh, and it's interesting to me, you know, because we had a baby three months ago and I'm, I've, I've been looking at the international schools in Prague. There's about six in Prague now, actually. And so it's, it's a it's a huge growing market. And it's something that fascinates me as well, well you know, because it's a big business too. I mean, 70% of international schools are for profit now, especially in China, where it's a huge business. Uh, I've, I've actually got a friend of mine who's setting up a chain of international schools in China right now. But uh, I'm curious, where, where did you go in China? Where, where, did, you, where did you start off? I was based in Shanghai, um, and it was a for-profit school. Yeah. Um, I think most was, are in China, from what I understand. Yeah, um, there's still there are some not-for-profit which are great. I enjoyed my experience. We had three and a half thousand children there, um, but it just wasn't the right school for me. I'd come from an outstanding, rated by Ofsted, sixth form college. To really, the teaching and learning wasn't what I expected. What sort of, um, yeah, it's interesting because a lot of these international schools, especially the higher end ones, um, the work, the hours you have to put in is really high. And then some of the sort of lower and middle tier ones, I'd say how I describe them, it, it is much of an easier job. I mean, was yours kind of on the higher end or how, how did it feature in terms of like what you were, what you were expected to do? Uh, I'd say <laughs> grade two or three. Yeah. And <laughs> um, in terms of the expectations, uh, like I said, I, I work with some great people but it wasn't with classes outstanding teaching and learning. And that's something that's really passionate for me. So I always wanted to work up the ladder. And that's why after two years there, I took a promotion to go and live in Saudi Arabia for two years where I was director of athletics. Yeah. Um, well, I'm curious, that, what was Shanghai like in terms of like the expat life and stuff like that? Was it, was it, was it a fun place to live? I've, I've, I've been, I've visited just really briefly, but I haven't, I haven't really spent much time there. Yeah, amazing place to live. Really good fun. There was no English spoken locally where I live, so you end up picking up a, a little bit of the language. So my Chinese is EDNDN, just a little bit. Um, but I know how to order drinks and order taxis and things like that. Right. So, yeah, amazing lifestyle. And then you went to the place which has no social life, Saudi Arabia, which is <laughs> the next stop. It was a very... Very different, but very rewarding at the same time. It's all, um, it's all in the compounds, isn't it? Essentially, you live on a compound yeah. and that's where that's where you socialize, basically. Yeah. Um, but when I when I look back at, obviously, my experiences, and, and though I loved the teaching at the school where I was, and I loved the community that I was in, it also enabled me to get to where I am now because it gave me that, that sort of time to be able to write and share what I was doing in my own classes. Yeah. Did you actually enjoy living in Saudi Arabia? Because most of my friends who lived there honestly didn't really enjoy it. They, they, they stayed for the money at a certain point. Yeah. I could have earned very similar in Shanghai, to be honest. Right. Um, I wanted to go for the promotion. Um, and that was the main thing for me to have that sort of director of athletics before the age of 32. Right. And, and what, were you in Riyadh or where were you in Saudi Arabia? Uh, <laughs> 
So very different. I was in the middle of nowhere. Um, I was, every time we would have tournaments or anything like that, it was a good three and a half hour drive. So we would uh, jump in the minibus on a Saturday, three and a half hours there, play a couple of games and three and a half hours back. Right. Wow. But yeah, East Co- uh, West Coast towards, um, and w- weekends we'd go diving in the Red Sea and things. So pros and cons. Yeah, did you did you visit like other countries? Like, did you go to the UAE and uh, other places? Do people, I, I don't, I'm not sure. What, do people do people travel all that out of Saudi in the weekend, or do they mostly stay there? Um, I think it depends. We did a couple of trips to Dubai just for a weekend, yeah. and, uh, things like that. So yeah, it is doable. I guess if you're a PCHO, especially in, in any sort of management position, you've got a lot of tournaments and things on the weekends. You've got a weekend heavy schedule, I imagine. Yeah, just part of admin, isn't it? And you. As soon as you start climbing that ladder a little bit, you have to give up some time somewhere. Yeah. So at the, at the first two schools, like, I'm curious, like, were you working like, most weekends? How did it work in terms of as, as PT show? Or do you not have stuff on most weekends? It really depends. It depends on the seasons, what you're coaching, yeah. uh, if, if you're hosting. So I think it was just more the look of the draw. Um, right. But I found myself busy most weekends. And the weekends I wasn't, then I'd be scuba diving in the Red Sea. That's cool. And so, so where did you go after, after Saturday? What was the next stop? Went to, came back to England to study my master's. So I studied my master's. And part of that master's was in um, professional development. So it was the main emphasis was PE and sport pedagogy. But then also part of it was uh, professional development and looking at adult learning, which is obviously something that carries on for stuff that I'm doing now, which is very beneficial to me. Right. So, and did you, did you, you went, to, I think you said you went to a third, inter- third country with international school, wasn't it? Was it- no, just the just the two at oh, the moment. Oh, just two, right? China, okay, yeah. Yeah. What? What? Um. So, how? I'm curious. Like, obviously, we don't talk about events and stuff. And and you know, you're you've spoken at a lot of conferences, just looking at your site, and obviously, run your own events. So, I mean, first of all, talking about the conferences you've spoke at, how how did you get started speaking at conferences? Well, the first conference I spoke at was um, just a session in America. So it was the the national PE conference. Yeah. So. PE teachers from all over North America. I was visiting, I was going as a, a delegate to start with, and then I decided, oh, well, why not? Why don't I share something um, and yeah. see, see how that goes down? And uh, so I decided to share, and we had a, a, a packed room of people that just wanted to come and see what we were doing. And we were actually using something called Plickers, which is just a, a tool where you use your iPad. And we were just showing how it can be very quick to do some very quick assessment in a PE classroom. And that was my first sort of step on to doing some sort of talking at a, a conference. And then it just went from there that I started doing more and more uh, sessions at various conferences. And then obviously the stuff that I was sharing on my blog and things that I was trying in my own lessons that sort of used it as a reflection tool to start with, that was... Um, where people started reading and saying, oh, I like this, and this is why I like it. And I just carried on sharing. And, and for me, that's what I've, I've carried on to do to this day, where I'm constantly sharing what I think can can be used. And that's getting me invitations to various places and, for me, get to travel, which I love to do. Yeah, I'm just trying to focus on what, what you know, what because so, there's going to be some teachers listening to this who want to start speaking at events. I think you mentioned a couple of things. One is having a blog is really, really important, you know, and you've obviously had a presence on Twitter. You've, you've got, I see, you, I see you on there quite a bit, but I think having a blog is, is crucial just to start, you know, because if people, you know, 
if you apply to, if you email a, con- you know, to a conference say, I want to speak, um, it's something they can easily check and, and read a few things about what you've, you know, that you're active. In. And I, I think it is almost essential nowadays if you want to start getting out there and speaking at events. Yeah. And I think about sharing about what you're doing rather than we, we used to live maybe five, 10 years ago in these sort of departments, classrooms where everything was insular and we wouldn't share anything, even with members of our own department. And now with the power of the internet, we can share literally anything and everything. And that's so important to try and get your name out there to show the quality of stuff that people are creating. No, I mean, it's, I think it's important to share everything you do. I mean, my, so I, I obviously run events for him, but also apps events. And with apps events, you know, I have schools contact me who, who want to run their own event and I, and I just tell them exactly how we do it. You know, I don't, I don't hide anything. I just say, look, this is, you know, because, you know, it, it builds goodwill and maybe you'll work together on something else. And even though they're not going to work with us, you know, I still tell them everything. So it's, it's, I think it's just, it's good to be as transparent as possible just generally, I think, nowadays. Yeah. And it's having that sort of, it's building those relationships, which are so important. Well, um, another other thing I think it's interesting is like, what I found a problem with a lot of people who speak at events is they just, they get greedy and they want to get paid straight away. And, and it, I mean, I spoke at a lot of conferences for free, paying, paying, paying to go as well myself before I ever got paid to speak at anything. I know, how have you found that, like, uh, in terms of starting and getting to speak at more and more conferences? Oh, <laughs> I definitely didn't make any, any money at all when I first started. Um, it was definitely more of a, a gesture of goodwill and build those relationships and i still do that to this day where i like i said I'll, i will share stuff if someone was to email me and ask me a question i'm happily uh help them but at some point you've got to start thinking we've got to, we've all got to keep a roof over our head and then we have to make some money somehow that has to be uh, whether that's through training or anything else but definitely starting off was one of those things that i started off doing everything literally for free. And to this day, my blog's still free. Yeah, one thing I'd add as well, for any, any people listen to this, teachers or, or anyone who wants to start speaking at events, the other thing I'd say is just help out with everything. Like the people we have specifically who, there's a few this weekend that moved me in Luxembourg actually, who just help out with everything, just come and say, can I, can I help you with the registration desk? That's actually the biggest tip I'd give someone who wants to speak at events is ask to help with the registration desk because people always need people to do registration you get to meet all the attendees um the the organizer loves you so i, I just throw that out there as a tip <laughs> for anyone listening who wants to do that you know just help with registration that, that's kind of a simple way to do it um but as, as looking at the events you've spoken some events in asia and also in, across the us i guess How, would you just fly out to the us for these events or it really depends. Like, the stuff in the US tended to be for my own professional development as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You made a pizza conference you wanted to you wanted to attend anyway. Yeah, um, and definitely the stuff in Asia um, has been more. They've asked me to go and speak and share some of the stuff that I'm doing, and they're happily all my flights, etc., are all included. Um, and expenses, which is obviously a, a great bonus. That basically means you get to travel for nothing. Yeah, how did you, uh, what was the first event you got paid to speak at? Oh, now you're taking me back, Dan. <laughs> I'm going to have to have a, have a think there. I think it would have been uh, flying to Hong Kong. Okay. For Hong Kong or Dubai, one of, one of the two. Um, right, which, 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 which event in Hong Kong? I'm, I'm a huge battle with Hong Kong. I'm a huge fan of Hong Kong. It's my favorite yeah. uh, city in Asia. Yeah, Hong Kong is a great city. I've been there numerous times now. Um, it was the Asia Pacific uh, Physical Education Conference. And okay. then 
and Dubai was the Connected PE conference. Yeah, there's a there's a big international schools conference in uh, December actually in Hong Kong. I was just chatting to the guy who, who organizes that. It looks quite interesting. Uh, and there's Learning Two as well, which is a huge one in in Hong Kong. Well, Learning Two will be for me in Japan this November. Not so sorry, I'm, not, not Learning Two. Twenty first century learning. Yeah, Learning yes. Two is in different in different places every every time. Isn't it? Yeah, twenty first yeah. century learning. I'm thinking of sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, Learning Two is a, a great event as well. Actually, I've wanted to. Um, I've never been able to make it. I was going to go Luxembourg this year when it was at International School of Luxembourg. Yeah, the Europe version. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so how did you get started with your own events? Because obviously, you know, you, you've done two things. You spoke at other people's events, and then you used that to go and start your own events. How? Where did you get the idea to start running your own events, and and then how did you do it? Yeah, I've had a lot of really good advice from numerous people. Uh, one of those is a, a fellow PE teacher, Jared Robinson, who has given me some great advice over the years um, just on running events and uh, putting my own content out there. And he was the one that suggested that I should start a podcast about three years ago, and I've only just started this year, but at yeah. least it's out there running now. Jared is huge, by the way. I, I think I mentioned you to him before when yeah. we were messaging. I mean, he's... um. I, I saw him, there's this guy called James Schramko has a podcast and he was interviewed on there and it was really interesting what he's doing. I mean, he's like huge in terms of what he's done. He's got a lot of apps as well. He's got a community. I see you've, you've got on your website that you're a member of his community and uh, he's, he seems like he's, he's probably like a good person to follow in terms of a PE teacher, you know, who wants to go, go huge in terms of building a profile and doing training and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And then I attended a couple of his training sessions and then, I've actually done some work for him in collaboration where I've run some training sessions uh, as part of his Connected PE community. Right. And then I've also run my own as well um, when people have come and approached me. And so, so I've just got... What was the first event you ran? How did you get started doing doing events? Um, I think I just got... I'm, I'm trying to think when the first one was, but I, I just got approached uh, to see if I would be interested in doing an event. And I was, yeah, sure. Um and I, so, I always so you, share. You had a school who were interested to host it at their school and send their own teachers. Was that was that kind of a format? Yeah, so they're more of a, a PE department first, and then uh, expanded to maybe more of the school, and they wanted to do that. So it was just for me a great opportunity when a school connect, connects with you, and then they want you to obviously do a full day of training or even two days. So I've just got back from Egypt where I've done two days of training with the British School of Cairo. And that was PE teachers from all in the area that were all invited to come out and do training with me. How, how did you, so what, when you get started then, how did you do your marketing? How did you get in a position where these schools were contacting you? Like, I mean, had you been working with them? They, they'd attended a course that you'd been teach, teaching or they saw you speak at a conference or was it social media? What was kind of a sales channel where you, where you got the schools to, to work with? I've tried to, wherever possible, use social media to uh, sort of my advantage. So I've always been sharing. Uh, people have always had the opportunity to see what I'm doing. And then further on down that line is maybe they download a, an ebook or something similar, PDF. So you, you have so a free, do you have like a free offer, or like a free ebook people can download, is that? Yeah. For most of the, there's always a call to action on most blog posts, especially more recently where I've started to think about how, how I can leverage that. Um, so in terms of collecting email addresses and then just really giving purposeful content as best I can to help people to obviously improve because my old mantra is work smarter, not harder. And especially being here in the UK, people sometimes go around the houses when maybe two clicks can be the same job. Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, I'm a big fan. Have you read the, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss? That's, that's, my yeah. favorite, that's my favorite business book of all time. I love that book. 
Read yeah, it's great. Six times. <laughs> it's a great book. So you, so you basically, you, you, what you're saying is your, your main way you promote yourself is you, you get active on social media and you drive people to your blog and then you've got some sort of call to action and people download that and then you have their email address and then you're in touch with them via, via email. Is that kind of a yeah the general general way? I'm just because obviously I'm, what, what I want to get out of this is sort of actionable things that teachers can use. And I know there's no, and I know it's a long-term a long-term process, but there's always a few good ways, you know, because I think you have to, even if you're not a salesperson, like you always have to think of it as a bit of, a, everything's a sales funnel, you know, everything's sales and there's, you've got to think about how, so I, I, let's say I'm a geography teacher, I want to run events for geography teachers, like how do I get a school to want to host one of my events, you know, what's the, and then you've got to divide that into a process, into a funnel, you know, like it's always a funnel, you know, there's always a, a way to do it. Yeah, I think it's really important to just start thinking about uh, what is that presence? How are you going to um, get people to your blog? How are they going to read about you? How are they going to know what sort of things you may offer? And I just think about putting purposeful and helpful content out there is definitely a, a massive step in the right direction for people. What uh, What's your main social media presence? Is it Twitter or is it other stuff? Yeah, definitely Twitter. Just from constantly sharing and making sure that the posts are stuff that people want or stuff that people can use or help with. I think the content that, ha- that I put out is hopefully helpful and uh, helps to change people. And then more recently, I've, I've stepped into doing a lot more webinars where people can then tune in and literally do what we're doing now, talking, but also learning at the same time. Yeah, so so yeah, I want to get on some webinars in a second. But just to finish off the sort of in-person event, so so you, so you started running events at a school, like internal events for a, for a PE department. Then I saw you have some like you know events where anyone can go. How did you move to like doing events which were like open, which anyone could do? Did you host them at a school and then you had a bunch of people already guaranteed to come, or how how did you do those events? I've done a few different ways. So I've um, when I've got my email lists, I've tried to find out where people are from or something along those lines. So it can be more based on geography. Yeah. Uh, so w- when they sign up, I can sort of send that there is going to be an event in that area. Um, are you using but, are you using Mailchimp or what are you using as your email tool out of interest? Uh, I use Active Campaign. Active Campaign. Did you like that? By the way, I'm always looking for recommendations for email mm. marketing software. Yeah, I like it a lot. There's, I use that, and then um, I also use ConvertFox. So that's uh, another one that I've started to use, not to its full potential at the moment, though. Right. And then it's all about just sharing. So if I know that when people have signed up, if I can find out where, where they're from, uh, and this was obviously before all the GDPR things came in yeah. for, for Europe, I would then send out certain emails to just let them know that there was events taking place in the north or the south of England, etc., and just to make them aware and then give them also content in that email to allow them to act upon. Right. And do you find, because it's, cause it's um, teachers' events, you need to run them on the weekends so, so people don't need to take a day off and get, you know. It's, it's tough. I would say in the UK, it's a, it's a lot harder to get teachers to commit at a weekend. I'd I would say, say that's hundred percent correct from my experience. UK teachers, it's very hard to do stuff on a weekend. People don't yeah. want to do it. International schools completely different. They're happy to give up weekends. Yes, and and that's definitely my experience. Um, they they quite like to have that day out. Um, but it's it is it's it's an interesting field because we we have very different um, views of education on the international sector as well as back here and uh, back home. 
And I find also that the, the attitude is very different just due to the, the amount of pressures and stress in just the two different worlds, in my opinion. So what? So you're saying it's much more stressful in the UK, like state school, than the international school? I'd say so. The, there's a lot more paperwork, bureaucracy, yeah. things that need to be done. And everyone wants everything for free when it can't happen like that. Yeah, that's definitely my that's definitely my take on it. it yeah, it's definitely... Um, I don't know if there's a different attitude in international schools. I mean, it's just, I think um, teachers, some teachers have been kind of like, you know, beat down by the system a little bit in the UK and that's been a problem. You know, they're kind of just a bit being asked to do so many things outside of their regular teaching that they're not um, enthusiastic about doing anything outside of school hours. I don't know. Maybe it's just where international teachers have that little bit more time or they have a little bit more flexibility in their their own professional development yeah. and their choices that they want to take in those professional development where as i know in the uk a number of especially pe teachers they don't really have that choice of choosing their professional development journey it's more dictated upon yeah. uh, from the top which is definitely a great shame so have you run events have you run these so i think it's, it's charge of your pe classroom is the name of your event the one i've seen you do do you, do you run that internationally as well then or just in the uk both right okay like I said, I just got back from Egypt where we did uh, a day of sort of we'd always, this was at all PE teachers. We did a day looking at implementing iPads into the classroom, uh, both theoretically and practically. And then we also looked at um, using obviously G Suite to basically help them and work smarter because some people just see Google as Google Drive and they don't know all the other tools that can really help them to work more efficiently. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously like, you know, side point is, that, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a huge Google fan. I mean, my upcoming apps events is all based around using Google tools in schools. I've actually thought about doing kind of a, you know, a Google education podcast, but the problem is it just doesn't lend itself to audio very well. I mean, it's more of, you could do YouTube because it, 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 the best thing about you doing a Google related podcast would be to do actual demos, in which case you might as well do it on YouTube. You know, I, I thought about it, but I just couldn't find a way to make it interesting on, <laughs> on a podcast. You know? Whereas this stuff, the event stuff is great because people want to listen to it when they're driving or whatever. And I think it just lends itself to a podcast format much better. Mm, definitely. What, um, so talk webinars, you started doing webinars. Are you, are you doing this as a, as a, are you charging for the webinars? And I'm, I'm curious, how do you get people to come? How do you run them? That's something I've, I've got no experience of. It's one of those where I've just, just started. Uh, I did quite a few last year. Uh, throughout the year and now it's uh, I've decided to maybe go put a bit more focus on that I feel yeah. that there's a lot more value in the content that can go out there so I'm doing, doing a complete mix at the moment doing a couple of paid ones a couple of free ones um, and using some of the um, emails that I've had in the past to now slowly start to say well we're offering this webinar next week would you be interested and let them sign up for it if they wish to? Yep. So yeah, it's been it's been good. And not just me speaking, having guest speakers on and letting them share their content with sort of my audience as well. What tool are you using for the webinars? Called Big Marker. Big Marker, right. You recommend yeah. that? Is it I know a lot of people use GoToWebinar, that's the one I keep hearing about. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see a, a long term deal in L T D. Um so Was that a invest Absumo by any chance? <laughs> No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't an AppSumo one. Yeah. A little bit more expensive. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, so far, it looks like it will be uh, long-term, a, a decent investment. Cool. Um, 
And I, I seem to remember you saying, or someone saying, you, you had like a, a VA, like a virtual assistant in the Philippines was helping you. Is that something you still have? Or I'm curious if... if uh, yeah, I did have. No, I did have. Just on the back burner at the moment. Just right. for, But it definitely helped me at the time when you're trying to just push as much content out as possible. It's the only way you can do it. You, if you can't be in a thousand places at once, you can't be doing a thousand things at once. And sometimes you just need that little bit of extra helping hand to just help you a little bit to get those sort of jobs done that take time, but you could be using your time in better ways. Yeah, we have, um, as you know, we have three employees, uh, three of our team members, uh, Gwen, Jane, and Neil, who are in Cebu in the Philippines. I mean, absolutely, I mean, we're, we're, we're a perfect distributed team in terms of like everywhere. You know, we've, we're in Peru, America, UK, Thailand, Czech Republic, Philippines. But uh, Philippines was the first place I ever hired people. You know, I, I got turned on to it by a guy called Chris Ducker. I'm not sure if you've heard of him online, but he's got some really good podcasts, um, Youpreneur podcast. And he, he had a company called Virtual Staff Finder, who I hired my first employee in Philippines who's no longer with us, but the second employee, Gwen, started working with seven years ago now. I guess we've been working together seven years, so it's, it's, it's been great for me, really. I, like, I highly recommend people to take a look at Virtual Staff Finder if they're looking to hire in the Philippines. Yeah, I think that'll have to be my, my next port of call in the, in the coming months. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it depends. What, you know, what, we, we run 300 events a year plus with, with apps events, you know, so there's a lot of logistics. And some of these events have 200 people coming, so there's a lot of dealing with attendees. Um, and then obviously with events frame with the SaaS, you know, the SaaS we've got, that's, that's a whole other thing. You know, we've got customer support. We did an AppSumo launch that got 3000 people using the systems, you know, <laughs> in a two week period, which was just crazy. Uh, now we're selling it just as on a regular price. So it's, it's, um, I, we couldn't exist without having a team there. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's also that having that, that team there to, like I said, help you to achieve more. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's great to talk. Just uh, curious about your, your workspace. Like, you know, are you um when you're not when you're not when you're not working in a school, do you have like a home office or do you go to a co-working space? I'm always curious what people do. Uh, I'm currently sat in my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. See, I hate that. A lot of people love. I can't do it. Like, I I have to. Even if I'm at home, I have to go to one an office room. You know, like I mean, I mean, I've got my own office, but I can't do the kitchen table thing. But I know most of my friends like do it all the time. Yeah, that's that's my workspace at the moment. It's yeah. uh, kitchen, coffee, kitchen, coffee, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what, I'm curious, like if you, any any teachers listen to this who want to, would like to go out and start speaking at events and running their own events, what advice would you would you give them in terms of getting started? If it's something they're just like, they've got to lay the groundwork, how, what would you tell them to start doing? Start sharing. Start sharing some of the great work that they're already uh, doing in the classrooms and go from there. So start to create an audience that people are obviously engaging with that um, either piece of work or that blog post and that tweet. And then start to work with those people and create those relationships. Those relationships are so important for maybe further down the line when you want to do um, events or do anything similar. Cool. Well, that's a great way to finish. Adam, uh, thanks a lot and great to chat. Thanks, Sam. Speak to you soon.